Okay, last time. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Yeah, I've got a question. Where can we get our hands on some of that shit? It sounds fantastic! Party on, dude! Welcome to the Outer Limits of the Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. So, so what do you think of that intro? I know it's different. What happened was that my parents, they're so sweet. They called me up earlier today. And they're like, Ryan, we're so proud of you. I was like, I have no idea why. But let's put you through the test. Let's see how you handle tonight's intro. And chances are I made him cry again. I try to maximize how many times I can make my wife and my parents cry my high score is 12, and all I have to do is just send him a picture of me, and it brings him a tear instantaneously. But uh, I'm real excited about our program tonight. We have a very unusual guest. This gentleman used to arrest people and put them in jail for having drugs. And uh, We're talking about cannabis and other things. And then he had this major change of heart, and he became a passionate advocate for liberty. So his story is quite amazing. I think he's very sincere, and he's on this passionate mission to help other people. So we're not going to talk about you know other dimensions or talk about anything to do with uh, outer space or the realms. This is a uh, focus on an individual who can teach us a lot. He had a major life transformation, and I believe that all of us are capable of having a major transformation. It doesn't matter where we've come from, where we are. I think that if we have a goal in our heart and we want to make a change for the better, we can do it. And this gentleman is going to show you how to do it. Let us begin tonight's program. Joining us now is Mr. Barry Cooper, former law enforcement officer, activist, criminal defense expert witness, and founder of the website NeverGetBusted.com. Mr. Cooper, it is a great honor to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad to be here, Ryan. Mr. Cooper, you have a rather interesting background or trajectory in your life as you were an individual who arrested a lot of people for having drugs, narcotics. And growing up, I think that a lot of people grew up in the era where, where drugs were considered very bad. And now you're an individual who seems to be advocating freedom of choice to put whatever substance that you'd like to put in your body why did you make such a dramatic change or how did you come to that conclusion in your own life for me it wasn't a dramatic change when i had the real information when i had the real information uh that humans should have the freedom of doing whatever they want as long as it doesn't harm others then it was easy for me to make that switch when i was ruining lives and committing those dark humanitarian crimes by ripping families apart and caging human beings for drugs, I was doing it under the the knowledge that I had. It was before the Internet came out, and my parents and the churches, the schools, uh, my peers all taught me that people who used drugs deserved to be punished and punished harsh, harshly, that they were demonic and doing the devil's work. So I believed that because I didn't have any other information to compare it to. So the short answer is good information. Okay. Now, at what point did you come to this realization? And also, when you said you committed these dark humanitarian crimes, when you say ripped apart families, what exactly did some of the things that you did? Um, because people who aren't aware of your, your background in history, that what you said you would just throw people in jail, was it... Um, what were some of those things? Well, my handlers told the Associated Press that I was one of the best narcotics agents in the country. Whether I was or not, that's not the point. The point is, to be called that, one has to arrest several thousand people, seize millions of dollars in cash, run, you know, I ran hundreds of search warrants. I did joint operations with the FBI, DEA, Border Patrol, ATF, and the U.S. military. And every operation I did was 
taking somebody's freedom for drugs. So those are dark humanitarian crimes. Jail is a form of torture, especially solitary confinement. The United Nations has declared solitary confinement to be a form of torture that has long-lasting negative effects on a human being. And there are currently 80,000 people in solitary confinement in the United States. Nowhere else in the history of mankind have we ever seen so much uh, a torture that we see currently in the United States right now. Wow. So those are all dark humanitarian crimes. Anytime a human forces somebody else into a cage like that, that's a dark humanitarian crime, especially when it's for a non-violent crime, such as smoking pot or having cocaine or methamphetamine or whatever the whatever the uh, substance is. Okay, so at this point you're saying that you get to this realization, you start to see all these different facts and information that you hadn't seen before. And when, what happened when you came to this realization that, you know, what you were doing, you came to a different conclusion based on this new information and did others around you who are in law enforcement come to the same conclusions as you did and also take similar initiatives? Well, at first there, there weren't any law enforcement officers taking the position I took. That's what, made me famous is when I released the videos of how not to get busted for drugs, you know, almost nine years ago. So it made me famous and nobody else was doing it. Now there's a lot of anti-prohibition police officers. In fact, I have some that work for me anonymously. They help examine evidence uh, on cases of uh, misprosecution. And I, I, what was your first question? Uh, the first you question is to. I have is, that, is approximately when, it's like when you when this thing happened when you started to have access to this information others had access to this information I wonder I'm curious why were you the why were you the one that took the initiative why weren't weren't there others that wanted to do the same exact thing like weren't others as equally as surprised well shocked? well that's that's easy and I don't know the reason why but I have noticed that there are a large majority of the population that when given evidence that counters a social norm or a, or a brainwashed belief they have in their head, they won't receive the new evidence and new information, and they'll continue believing their old ways. I've never been like that. Um, I think my mother, when I was little, taught me to look at every angle of an argument. In fact, I've taught my kids growing up that not to debate and argue to be right, you debate and argue so another person can 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 put evidence on the table to change your mind because it's all about changing and evolving our minds and different thoughts so so i argue and i teach people to argue not to be right but to gain new information because once you give me information if you if you can give me evidence that i'm wrong about uh, standing against the drug war, and that evidence is true, I'll switch. Of course you can't because we both know it's wrong, but that's just how I am. That's how I've always been. It's easy for me to change when I have new, solid information that says my old beliefs were wrong. Okay. Now, you said that you, you, said you hurt a lot of people because you, you put them in jail because of drugs. And I'm curious to know is if you have ever sought forgiveness from those people? Have you ever met with some of those people that you've put in jail and, and sought their forgiveness? And actually, have you ever gone back and checked on some of the people that may still be in jail and come forth as a witness to try to reduce any of their sentences? Of course. When I released the first video nine years ago, I made public announcements everywhere that if I had arrested you in the past to get in touch with me, I obviously couldn't undo the the psychological harm, but I could help pay some of your bond, or if you're still in jail, maybe write letters to get you out. Not one person responded. Now, I do have a, a person I arrested before that's now a friend that's actually going to come to Mexico and visit me. So, yeah, I've, I've stuck my hand out to try to help, you know, those that are harmed and take care of my karma. For the last eight, nine years, I've sacrificed a lot to help you know, hundreds 
of other people get out of jail. That's my job now. That's what I do every day is I get defendants out of jail. Not only that, I realized my karma was coming to me. You know, I caused all those harms on humans. Well, in the last nine years, because of my activism and because of the karma that I deserved, even though I thought I was doing the right thing when I was arresting those people for drugs, I'm still responsible for those crimes, and karma will make sure of that. So in the, in the last nine years, I've been raided twice, arrested five times. My wife arrested three times. My autistic son was taken from me. These are all for misdemeanors, and it's all the government doing this. My, my bank accounts were shut down. I had to flee the U.S. and risk my family's life going through Venezuela and Brazil. Now I'm safely in Mexico. But since I've returned to Mexico, my wife, who went through all of that with me, has divorced me and took my son to Florida. So I've lost everything, uh, basically, because of my activism. But it's also, for me, I see it as my karma. I screwed up so many lives that, you know, I started getting raided and arrested and losing everything. And I'm not bitter about it. I totally understand Understand it. I'm not mad at karma. I love karma. Karma's only a bitch if you're a bitch. Now, now me saying that I lost all those things, but I don't want you to feel sorry for me because I'm in a good position now. I'm very happy. I'm at peace with the choices I've made in my life, and I actually feel better than I've ever felt because I do think now that finally I may have paid back enough to where – to where hopefully I don't have any more future tragedies to equal out any karma scores that I may have left. Well, let's explore the karma real quick. There's just two things maybe to consider is that at the time when you were arresting these people, it seemed that you believed in your heart that you were doing the, the right thing. So, I mean, was there malicious uh, – there's a two-part question to this. Is that one, was there malicious intentions when you were doing these activities that you actively sought out to destroy lives for the sake of destroying lives? And two – did you ever think that the reason why some of those people um, were arrested by you is because it was their karma that pulled you in there? That, you know, why did you arrest them and not someone else? Maybe someone else, uh, you know, bypassed you or didn't get arrested by it because their karma didn't require it. So did you ever think that it was actually a, a two-way thing, that the people you arrested well, were just Well, I, w- I was malicious in the sense of trying to destroy their lives, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought destroying their lives was the right thing. So in that aspect, I was malicious. Um, but I never would have done it if I would have known it was wrong. Okay. Now, as far as, as far as whether it's my karma or their karma that's causing it, no, I, it's just like, um, well... I would rather discuss what karma I think I have than what somebody else's karma is, and I certainly don't want to blame blame what I have going on with me on anybody else other than myself. Okay. I'm the I'm, you know, I study quantum physics. I'm not by any means an expert in it, but quantum physics theorizes that everything in my life is there because I created it. All right, and if you were to think about the three biggest events that shaped the core of who you are, what would you say the three biggest life-changing events were in addition to you coming to the realizations that you did? The first event would be the first 13 years of my life when my mother had me. They took me from my mother when I was 13 years old, and I didn't see her for, you know, 15 years after that. So the first 13 years of my life is what made me more of who I am uh, than anything else. Why did they take away mama. from your mom? Why did they take uh, away? From, why did they take away from, you away from your mom? My parents. All, we all lived in California. My parents got a divorce, and my dad took me and my brothers to Texas. Told me I'd see my mother again, but I never did. Okay. So that would be the first thing that really shaped who I am. The other things that shaped who I who I am would be love and tragedies. I've, had a, I've, I've been very, very lucky to have a lot of people who love me dearly and really take care of me and they're concerned about my well-being. I'm really loved, and that's changed me into who I am. Love certainly changed me. The other thing that changed me into who I am, a more compassionate person, 
hopefully with more understanding than what I had years ago, would be the tragedies I've suffered. I've suffered tremendous pain. Just recently, the last, uh, just six months ago, is when Candy, my, my, the love of my life, left me. She said she was going to come back with my son, and it was a trick the whole time. So I got betrayed there. But I understand that, too. You know, she, she lived a life with me of 11 years of activism, and it was constant long-term stress. And it just wasn't her life anymore, and I wouldn't expect her to continue going forward with something that she was unhappy with. But that kind of pain I suffered and losing my son like I did and being placed in solitary confinement myself. And I've been arrested over nine times. Uh, I just told you about the arrest since my activism, but I was arrested several times before that. All those tragedies, you know, my first wife wore a body wire on me for DEA. Oh, yeah, so I've been through a lot of betrayal and a lot of, a lot of tragedy, but I also had a big balance of love too. So those would be the three things that changed me. That no, that made me who I am today. Be my mother, the love, and tragedies. Okay, and as far as your consciousness and its impact, this question. Do you mind if I ask what drugs have you experienced and what drugs do you feel um, have had the the biggest lasting impact on your life as well? Sure, I've done every drug except uh, heroin. Okay. I, I've not done heroin. Um, and I, I try to, st- I tend to stay away from any drugs that aren't psychedelic. The psychedelics changed my life, specifically LSD, mushrooms, marijuana, ecstasy, and ayahuasca. Those all have had an incredible impact with molding uh, who I am. Uh, what because that? it allowed those love, it allowed that love I talked about to enter in, and it allowed me to see what tragedies are really about. It instead of making me a bitter person, I actually grew through those tragedies. Okay, and as far as your, let's say this way. What did you and the psychedelics of? helped me forgive myself. Did the psychedelics help you to forgive yourself? Yeah, the psychedelics helped me forgive myself. To, you know, they taught me what karma was, but they also taught me not to be so hard on myself, and that there is a, a time when, I can let all of that go. Okay. The past tragedies, and so far I think I've done, fairly well dealing with those. I'm happy with with how I've processed my life and where I am right now. Okay. And as far as uh, some of these other things that you've done, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you've taken these drugs and that you've done these certain things. Do you, um, where do you feel the trajectory of the, of the war on drugs worldwide is, is headed at this point? Do you think it's going to get, um, like kind of less on a worldwide scale and more intense on the U S front? You know, they're legalizing marijuana around the world. That'll be done in the next couple of years. They're still going to keep the cocaine wars and the heroin wars going and the meth wars because there's still billions of dollars involved. That said, the world has woken up. They realize the drug on the war on drugs was propagated by the United States government, and they tricked the rest of the world into following their lead, and they're upset about it. There's hardly a United Nations meeting now where President presidents of other countries, especially the Latin American countries, stand up and call an end to the war on drugs. So yeah, it's definitely going to change. I see the war on drugs coming to an end, you know, in the next five to ten years. Okay. But what about all the people that are making a lot of money off it? My understanding is that there are a lot of private interests that are involved that are making a substantial amount of money on it. Where do those interests go? I mean, are they just going to sit away and leave the table and allow this no, to happen? No, no. In fact, I said years ago that the reason they don't legalize marijuana to tomorrow is they know it's the morally correct thing to do, but they won't do it because if you stop the billions of dollars flowing from marijuana going into the pockets they're going into, which are the governments, the U.S. governments, the Mexican governments, they call the Mexican governments cartels, they're not just going to give that 
that money up. And as soon as they can figure out how to assume those same dollars, they'll legalize it like they are marijuana. The cartels that have these huge marijuana fields are going to become legal importers of marijuana. So they'll still assume the millions and billions of dollars they make, and the U.S. government will still get their cut out of taxes. So it just took them some time to figure everything out when they did flip the switch that money flow didn't stop because if you stop that big of a money flow, there's a huge butterfly effect and it it would topple governments and they weren't ready for that. So no, they're not giving up their money. They're just getting it in a different way now. Similar to when wine was illegal in the United States. Um, You know, producers in France now are importing wine and from other countries into the U.S. Same with the marijuana. Nobody's that's making money off of it now will lose will lose any money from it becoming legal. They'll they'll do the same thing with cocaine, methamphetamine, and heroin in the future. You think that all they'll the make magic- it all legalized and they'll control it and they'll make the tax dollars from it. But what about all the people who are making the money? You know, with the prisons and what are they? Are they going to just invest those prisons and turn them into something else? They turn them into all the people. What? What about all the people that are have all this money invested? in I'm sorry. Prison? What's the question? The question is this. Is what about all the people that have the money invested in the uh, the prisons? Were, were they going to? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they're going to continue assuming those dollars. Okay. I think they they're prop because they're they're wealthy people that own prison stock and own the private prisons. So I assume they'll get a portion of the of the tax money from the drugs. I don't know, but you can bet they're going to be taken care of one way or another because they're not going to just give up their billion dollar. You know, people say all the time, it takes X amount of money to house all these prisoners each year. It takes all of our tax money. Well, what really should be looked at is who's making that money. And we've just identified them, and they're not going to give it up easily either. So I'm sure there's something going on behind the curtains that when the drug war does end, those people will still realize those prison dollars that they'll be losing. Right. Barry, in your career as a police officer, and probably even now, you seem to have a very good, keen eye for seizing up people, reading people rather, rather quickly, seizing up their psychological profile. If you were to do a psychological analysis on the collective consciousness of the United States people, what would you say about that? What would you say, psychologically speaking, is going through the mind? Mentally ill and emotionally immature. But for me, the United States is a nation of mentally ill people, and it's their mental illness comes from 200 years of propaganda, 200 years of slavery stress. They work Americans to the to their to the bone, and uh, generational family problems such as you know religion and the things that keep people from evolving. When you when you do that for 200 years, not including all the wars and blood on the Americans' hands, the country was started with slavery. It was started with genocide of the Indians. They killed over 50 million Indians, and they've not quit killing people since. They're caging their own citizens at alarming rates. So I see I see Americans just the majority of them mentally ill. It's a mental illness. So where do you see the trajectory? Because, you know, at one point you actually had listed or mentioned that people get out of the country. Now, I also want to ask you, that in the same token, where do you see the rest of the world going? Do you see the rest of the world kind of heading or kind of going parallel with the United States in terms of becoming more repressive or coming more clamping down on individual liberty? Is there a point where you see the spark of liberty or the spark of freedom or the spark of just, you know, leave me the hell alone, let me do what I wish to do coming back at any point? Well, I see both. I can look at, I can find evidence that would that would predict the world is going to hell and not literal hell because I don't believe in that but that the the world is doomed and that we're going to kill each other and kill our planet and then I see evidence of millions of people waking up uh, for some reason there's been some kind of enlightenment especially lately I I give the credit to the internet, you know, it's been alive for 10, 15 years now that's given people good information. So 
I see evidence of both happening. So for me to keep my sanity, <laughs> I, I, again, I'll refer to quantum physics and some quantum theorists, some quantum physics scientists theorize that the Earth is kind of splitting and there will be two Earths when the split finishes. There will be the Earth that is doomed and then there will be another reality, which is the Earth that has the millions of people like me who want to evolve and will make the Earth a better place to live. And depending on where the person is in their life and in their thought patterns will depend on which Earth they wind up on. Wow. So you think that the Earth at one point maybe will wake up and half the population will be on this alternative tyrannical type planet and half the planet population will be in a place where you can just walk around with the dude walking down the street and be kind of carefree? Not half the planet. No, I'm talking about two different planets. Now, again, I can't prove this. Huh? Even science will tell you they can't prove anything. But the data and information we have right now with physics suggests that the Earth will actually split into two different Earths. They'll split. One Earth will go one way with that's doomed. One Earth will go another way that's the Earth you described, one of freedom, one of... Uh, evolution. Okay. So very, that, that's what I believe right now. That's what keeps me sane and keeps me in the, in the business. Because if we work so hard to bring peace and love and compassion to the world, and it gets nothing but worse and worse and worse, that can be very discouraging. Okay. And Barry, I just have to, two more last questions for you. First one is this, is that right now in the world, Police are, I think, under an unprecedented amount of scrutiny. Like they're, they're always showing videos of, you know, police brutalizing citizens or shooting citizens. And I have to say that I don't think that a lot of police. I don't. I like to think that a lot of police officers don't act that way. There are a lot of people out there you know, in the law enforcement that carry themselves with conduct that are honorable. And I was wondering, is there anything that the average citizen can do to facilitate a better working relationship with the police that would make that relationship kind of more peaceful and warmer and not have to have things escalate to the point where they are is there anything in the well, with the current with, with the current definition of who police are there's no way we'll ever get along because any that's like saying would you ever get along with nazis they, they were police officers of that day and because they were so immoral in the laws they were in Forcing, there was no way to get along with the laws that that police are enforcing now are immoral laws. So for me, there shouldn't be police driving around trying to catch citizens. In fact, police catch less than a half percent of crimes in progress. For me, police officers should stay in a building just like a fire. Firemen don't go around drive around looking for fires. They wait till there's a fire and then they're called to it. So police need to do the same thing. They need to take the role as investigator and not necessarily protector. We can protect ourselves as a community. I can call my neighbor to get to my house faster with a shotgun if somebody's breaking in than when the cops would arrive. Then we need to call the cops to come and lift fingerprints, do the investigation to try to find my stolen property. But we don't need cops driving around being hall monitors over adults, and that's hard for the United States to see because They've all been tricked through propaganda that if you take police off the street, everybody will start killing each other. That's not true. People live in anarchist systems all the time without killing each other. The next time you're at a party, you'll see maybe 100 people at the party, and there's no cop in the building, and people aren't killing each other. Yeah. So people don't not kill each other just because they're cops there. They don't kill each other because they're not killers. Uh, and this is going to lead to so a, all police. All police departments need to be abolished and made to look more like fire departments, and we'll be fine. And I know it's true because I've lived out of the United States for six years in three different countries, where I may have seen three traffic stops and one arrest. Where in the United States, I would drive ten miles and see ten cops, and nobody. Like currently, where I live now in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, nobody's killing anybody here. And the cops aren't driving around arresting citizens. They're not even bothering us. They don't even stop us and ID us. So there, we can live peacefully among ourselves without police. 
but the United States has been tricked. We must have cops or there'll be chaos. Well, that's not the truth. In fact, the truth is when you have cops, you create chaos. Okay, and I, I've got to ask you this, this one question just for, for on the same subject as police. Lately, there have been a, a lot of reports. It's, I guess it's been happening for a long time with the police. They go to a house and they shoot the, the, the family dog, which I, I can't understand why they would do this. And I'm curious to know as to why an officer would ever consider doing that, especially when the police have their own canines that they probably have, that they go connected with and are close with, and they have their own dog. So why, in any circumstance, would that act of cruelty uh, come in the mindset of any police officer, and why do you think it's happening on a more frequent basis? Well, it's cruel. It is cruel to shoot dogs, but it's even cruel to shoot crueler to shoot humans. We did the statistics. We published it on our website a couple weeks ago that right now in the year 2015, since January, every eight hours, a human is being shot and killed by a police officer. Every eight oh, hours wow. in the United States now. So I'm sure they are killing more dogs, but we need to jump up and down about killing these humans first, then get to the dogs. However, the answer to both problems is you have conscienceless men that are being hired that want to make a name for themselves, and they want to shoot because if they shoot a dog or if they shoot a human, they're famous at that moment among their peers. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry that happened. And they get to tell the exciting story. It's an adrenaline trip to them. It has nothing to do with protecting the public and keeping them safe. It's a self-ego satisfying thing to behave like that. Just like when I was a cop, my ego caused me to make all these arrests and to be one of the top drug enforcement agents, because when I made a drug arrest, I really didn't care about public safety. I used the belief that I really believed that I was helping the public, and that's why I was doing it. But I didn't go out and pick up newspapers and walk old ladies across the road. I did these other things for the adrenaline rush and to satisfy my ego. That's the reason cops are shooting dogs and shooting American citizens. It's to fulfill their own selfish desires for adrenaline and recognition among their peers. Wow, that's that's amazing. And Barry, the last question, the final final question we have for you is this: Is that in the course of your life, you have had an amazing journey through this physical life incarnation, based on your life, based on what you've done? Is there any pieces of, pieces of advice or your three most profound insights that you can share with our audience, and advice that you would bestow upon them in order for them to improve upon their own lives? Yes. The world is made up of ones and zeros and zeros and ones in different orders, which is called information. If you have your ones and zeros misaligned, you're going to have the wrong information by which to lead the rest of your life with. So my advice is get the real information. Become an information hound and rearrange the ones and the zeros in your life based on real good solid information and not the propaganda or old social norms or whatever may have been popular among your grandparents and great-grandparents. Get the real knowledge. It would be easy for me to say, which is usually what people answer when asked that question, yeah, love each other. Well, some people call love arresting people and putting them in a cage. For me, that's not love. For me, their ones and zeros are misaligned. So for us to really know the powers of love, we have to get our information correct. It was information that changed me. Wow. Mr. Barry Cooper, truly a great honor to interview you today to have you on a program. And to learn more about Mr. Cooper, you can go to his website at nevergetbusted.com. Uh, Mr. Cooper, thank you so much for that great interview. Hey, you bet, Ryan. It was my pleasure. Peace and love to, to you and your audience. Joining us now is globally respected psychic medium, Miss Carrie O'Connor. You can learn more about Miss O'Connor by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Miss O'Connor, what can you tell us about Barry Cooper? Barry Cooper is a very interesting man. He's a warrior type, Ryan. I love his whole history of being um, in the police being a narcotics training dark, um, dogs how to seek dogs, uh, you know, drugs out. 
and then end up turning around and um, creating the cop busters. He's a, he's a system breaker. He's not, he's got a warrior spirit. And I tell you, he's not afraid to go into the dark parts of society to bring in the light. And I love anybody that has that kind of energy. He's got a kind heart. He's got that gold energy around his heart. And he's, again, he's not afraid to go. He'll go toe to toe to anybody. And you got to love that. And to be able to do that in Texas, <laughs> you have to have that yeah, real strong have spirit. You know, oh, yeah. He said during the interview, I thought it was really compelling, is that he said that he's trying to make peace with it, with his karma. He's trying to, to you know, go through the karma because he said he ruined a lot of lives mm-hmm. while he was a police officer. As far as his trajectory goes, is there anything he can do to, to accelerate that or to – to prove his, um, you know, ability. You know what? You know what, Ryan? He's doing that. Think of the people that he reaches through the internet and through. I was hearing and reading his energy, and that's where I go to the gold heart of how he took responsibility of how many families they went in. The kids were carted off and put in systems, and the people went to jail, and the people are in jail with, um, with you know, nonviolent criminals are in there with rapists, and um, and then all of a sudden they get raped and violated when they really are, are just pot smoking kind of peace loving people, you know? And so his, he's doing what he, what he's doing right now is going to clear his karmic um, plate big time. Okay. Is there anything else? The more he, the more he uh, talks about uses it? the internet as his medium. Yes, exactly. The more he talks about it, the more he abdicates, the more he's going to clear the plate. And he's, again, not afraid against to go into DEA, um, DEA agents and saying they misuse their power. He's he's calling people out, and that's going to help clear his karma big time. And he comes from his heart, and I could see and feel in his heart that every time they go in there, especially he's an advocate for the child, an advocate for the animals. I know animals are really important for him too. And that um, to be wrongly accused or to make a big deal, you know, when they make a, um, they think they're getting a big bust and they, again, uh, you know, ruin people's lives. They, they could ruin their businesses. People have gone under because of a few ounces of pot. So he's here to balance the scales and he's not afraid to do it. And he's, and he definitely is clearing up his karma for sure. Sure. Is there anything else? Sorry to say this way. Did you notice anything about his previous life and carnations? I've noticed in his past times that he was in – this is the one thing that really interested to me – was interested in. This is like a hangover lifetime. He was a spy, but he was in the counter spy, like a triple spy where he would have people turn on his government, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say that you you know, you know get it for somebody in Germany. And the thing about those counter spies, a lot of times a friend of mine was one of those, and it was in Germany. And she goes, then they used to drop the people right back in Germany, knowing 99% of the times they're going to get killed, right? So he worked in counter um, – like the triple spy kind of stuff that, you know, we hear about um, through the movies and stuff. And that was what I call like a hangover. So I'm not surprised that he got into law enforcement in the first place. But the counterpart was against his heart, especially when he found out. Imagine going there and believing that you're doing the right thing and finding out that you're, you make all these promises to these people that are betraying their country. And then we don't follow through in the promises. That was devastating to him. And so he came in. With this, again, what I call this energy hangover or a real strong yearning to want to right the wrong, to at least follow through with what we said we were going to do. I saw he was really devastated after when it really hit him that we are, we um, leave these people. So he, and that wasn't too far back in his own incarnational experiences, the betrayal that we do. Betrayal that he has. So it's it's something that he's experienced. It seems like he's replaying it out again in this lesson. Exactly. Exactly. So if he's replaying it out in this time, what, what soul lessons, I mean, is it, let me say this way. If he's replayed out a similar scenario in this life incarnation, what lessons is he, is he not learning or, as he is part of his lessons to repeat those lessons. Well, a lot, you know, Ryan, I see a lot of times that as far as in our past lives, especially when I see that hangover thing, it's like a residual energy. So it's not necessarily that he's not learning this lifetime in particular. I see that he's taking it further. So last time that he died, I saw him holding onto a cross and really coming to peace and, and begging for forgiveness because of, uh, you know, betraying many, many people, right? 500, 600 people. He was very good at having people betray their country, right? So imagine him 
his country gives him all these awards and he has all this, you know, um, pomps and circumstances, but he knows in his heart of hearts that all these people, they're going to turn around and dump him in the desert and they're going to get, they're going to die. So toward the end of that lifetime, he really made amends to it. So this lifetime, he vowed to be a bigger voice for the underdog, let's say, right? And so what he considers with the people, especially with, with marijuana after going into, you know, um, the being a cop and narcotics and all that. And then he um, really witnesses firsthand the nonviolent 99% of the pop smokers are nonviolent and that they're thrown in and bunched in with the same criminal effects. So this lifetime is about being the voice. He, he's clearing up um, being this voice for people that can't be the voice and that uh, don't have a voice. And during the interview with Barry too, I found this really interesting because it's, he said something that was echoed by Stuart Wilde, I think about two or three years ago, and I've actually heard this before. I may have actually touched upon it. He said he felt that the way humanity was, it was completely splitting into two different evolutions, like two distinct. You've got one yeah. evolution that is going to be completely engulfed by this hardcore tyranny, and you have another evolution that's completely engulfed by this you know, sense of freedom or just have yeah. more freedom. Now, how does that – one is that true, and how is that going to play out? I mean, how can you have one section of the, of the earth completely engulfed in tyranny, and one section of the earth completely engulfed, engulfed in freedom? And where are these freedom and tyranny zones going to be? Well, you know what the interesting thing, Ryan, you and I were talking personally last night, and we were talking about breaking through the matrix, right? Yeah. And think of Jesus's words. Our goal here is to be in this world, to be very, very physical, but not of it. And we were talking about how people were able to go in war zones and not be seen, be invisible, right? And so sometimes people take the information and they think people are going to live on a mountain. Everyone's going to seem sing Kumbaya and they're going to all be, you know, alike separated from the dark people. That's not necessarily true. Yes, there'll be communities with people that are like-minded, but we are going to be able to have a resonance in being in in the um in the forefront of people that could be having a very dark time but it's like you're living you're not tapped into it so it's like watching a movie being very aware of it but you're not pulled into their their ag agony and their pain and because you're there acting like a light you could actually help the person decide to get out of that agony okay so if you're helping to get them out of the agony so but you could act like a bridger so i absolutely agree it's like two but if you have like, but I mean, when you have the the, the forces of let's call them the tyranny or the anti freedom forces, mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. it seems to engulf a, or encompass a wider population. Like if you look at a country, look throughout history, it seems that when tyranny happens, an entire country is you know everyone who's in that country kind right. of gets wrapped up on it. And if you look at certain right. countries, like you know maybe the U.S., right. it looks like it is it is coming down. So I'm right. curious to know how do you have um, a a group of individuals. Who are experiencing freedom, how do they experience true freedom within the realm or the physical parameters of perceived tyranny? And how does the freedom from within match the reality from without? Where does that physical location occur? There was a whole book from a, a doctor who was um, in the concentration camp. And Ryan, as he was getting operated on with no anesthesia and they were taking his eyeball lids out or whatever, they were doing uh, unbelievable stuff to him. He looked at the doctors and forgave them. So here he was in this place of being absolutely tor tortured, seeing absolutely agony and torturous stuff all around him. And his heart flipped into where he was physically being in that place, but he was not of that place. So he was able to kind of turn the channel out of that. And he was able to look at the people and forgive them and to be in this state that, again, looks very, very chaotic. But he wasn't tapped into the agony and he wasn't tapped into that and he was able to literally look in the eyes and feel love and compassion for them right so that's like a perfect example of it but there will be people that will be in the right place at the right time they'll be um again like communities that are holding space and this has happened before in our history like in lemurian times atlantean times there was those people that stayed 
aid on the island of Lantian, knowing that it was going to go down, but they held space because they knew that at the last minute, the potential of, of love can change everything. Other people saw the, the grids and knew that it was most likely going down, so they went to have um, humanity to survive, so they went to um, Egypt and all different parts of the earth to, to plant the tribes to have survival, right? So you have different people having different jobs, you could say, so some people will be in the forefront, so they will be living amongst the people holding the space, seeing people again in agony, but they're not tapping into it. And then it's not that they're ignoring it, but it's just, it's hard to describe, but I totally understand it because it's more of a feeling. And Jesus has showed me this over and over again, how to be in this world and not of it. So you can walk through the streets and see absolutely horrific things, but your eyes are tuned in and you don't tap into the awful, horrific things. Let's say you tap in and you see Charles Manson, the murderer, but your eyes are encoded where you can see the one speck of God creator in Charles Manson or the, the mass murder or the child molester. So your energy is able to not ignore the rest. It's just zoning in on that creator piece. And by doing that, you're connecting to the creator within you and the creator within them. So you're able to be able to exist in two places at once, right? To be here, but not of the chaos. Okay. In the darkness. Actually, and the last question I have for you with regards to Mr. Cooper is, are, is, does he have a particular guiding spirit that is having a substantial influence on his life at this point for the positive or for the negative? I see a huge Archangel Michael with him. Archangel Michael is a huge warrior energy, and a lot, Archangel Michael has – they would say Michael has a band of mercy of like thousands and thousands of warrior or his army, and um, he definitely has the Michael spirit with the army around him to guide him very, very strongly. Excellent. Miss Carrie O'Connor, thank you so much for that very insightful and in-depth analysis of Mr. Barry Cooper. And You're to welcome. learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor and to get a reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor, please go to her website at CarrieOConnor.com. Thank you so much, Miss O'Connor. Thank you, Ryan. It's always a pleasure. Joining us now is globally respected psychic medium, Miss Lisa Kaza. You can learn more about Miss Kaza by going to her website at LisaKaza.com. Miss Kaza. What can you tell us about Mr. Barry Cooper? Hey, Ryan. Well, the very first thing that I heard when I started to uh, tune into his spirit, it threw me way off base because I didn't totally understand. But I heard the words, animal communicator. And I'm going, well, what the heck? Uh, Mr. Cooper isn't an animal communicator. He's a an ex-cop, ex, you know, DEA, and he's now he's a you know motivational speaker and, and activist. So uh, what's this uh, animal communicator? So I, I'm just going to say I know I don't quite know what that means, other than I guess he has some extremely strong abilities as an animal communicator, and it wouldn't surprise me if, for example, um, if he were to ever um, take up uh, like a side business or, or of that nature of, for example, training animals, uh, whether it's horses or dogs, or he, he just phenomenal. He just he knows how to work with with animals, and the thing is, there is something to that too. I just picked up, and it's well, animals know. I think when I say animals know, a lot of people understand what I mean, where animals pick up a person's true intentions their heart and their spirit and the energy that's coming off of them. These animals trust him. They love him. to simply adore him. So that says a lot about Mr. Cooper and his, uh, not just him as a person, but just his spirit. He's unconditionally loving and, and, and very, very compassionate and warm. And that's what the animals apparently are drawn to. So I guess that's why I was told that right off the bat. Um, now, I was seeing um, a lot of uh, a couple of his past lives where um, one I was actually a little bit confused about because first I heard, like I do realize in this lifetime, he was quote unquote in law enforcement, but I felt that he was in it again. I, I feel in his most, most recent past life, it would be 1825, but the thing is I got 
up against the wall, so to speak. I got a bit confused because then I heard church. Then I started seeing the images and put two and two together. And in this one past life, like, yes, he was enforcing law, um, but uh, what was going on back then, 1825, there was a lot about, um, like I kept hearing the very ugly, ugly word genocide. So there's a lot going on with the, with the Native Americans and moving in the residential schools and okay. and all that yucky stuff. Is he part of the Indian tribe or is he actually part of the oppressing? The oppressor. Okay. He was the oppressor. But you see, he didn't like that. He, he didn't like what he was seeing. And good Lord, for, for good reason. You know, it was absolutely atrocious what, what went on back then. So that was a one lifetime that I feel what is, you know, feeding into this one somewhat. But again, I got hit with another lifetime. There's a lot of lifetimes, actually. Um, if, I'll say like the, the 1400s and prior. That's what I heard. 1400s and prior. He was a knight. And usually knights, they, they all have humanitarian and, and protective, sorry, natures. And they'll, they usually choose, like within whatever lifetime, from one lifetime to the next, usually they choose careers that are somewhat protective in nature. But as we've seen with, with Barry, eventually they learn that it, their, their roles within that career, they're, they're not very congruent with their spirits and what they were actually trying to do here on this planet, which is to be protective, to be the protectors. And so I feel that that uh, is, it was really uh, influencing this life as well. So it's um, a fueling, it fueled his, his choice of career. But yet at the same time, the, the lifetime that I mentioned about the, um, with the, the Native Americans, yeah. really what happened was he needed a reminder in this lifetime, a reminder of what happened back then so that he could open his eyes once more and get back on track. So do you feel that because he made such a dramatic change in his life for this, uh, for this current life incarnation, do you believe that this was kind of like a, a finale or a send-off from him being part or having a future life incarnation as being part of a oppressive force of freedom? Is, um, is he permanently is he permanently uh, a freedom based yes. uh, being where he'll always push for freedom? Like if that was this yeah. finale. Yeah, oh definitely. I would have to agree with that one hundred percent. Like he is done. That is it. I mean you hear him talk at I haven't even heard him talk. I'm just going by his name, but I'm being told you listen just listen to him talk and you can feel the just the the fiery passion that he has about the his causes it's no it's a definite 100 percent 360 degree turn and i i'm going to say i'm so proud of him for what he's done for what he's changed and um he he actually uh mirrors his two animal guys extremely well who are his two animal um, guys he's well he's he's got a dolphin okay um and dolphins they're protectors of family and a sense of community you know, harmony with others. and But it also shows his communication skills. They're, they're just extraordinary. In, well, the community, excuse me, tongue-tied. Communication skills actually shows his high intelligence. So that's where the dolphin comes in. But he, his second one, and this is interesting because I don't get it that often, but I have half wolf, half dog. And so the dog, the, the half dog, of course, is all about protection and warnings and loyalty to the to owners or you know family or community, and the wolf is again family protection and strength, um, and a great teacher as well and leader. So the wolf aspect, especially with the leadership qualities. I feel that next lifetime he is going to be, again, like I said, uh, 100%, I agree with what you said, but he's going to be coming back more as a movement leader, much stronger than what he is yeah, now. Yeah, wow. Oh, for sure. Absolutely, <laughs> for sure. He's, 
I am so excited. I'm so, like, I just can't express how proud I am. And I've never even met this man. And I am so proud of him. I need to um, bring something to Alan. I'm trying to say it this way. And when Barry was a police officer, he, <laughs> yeah, he, he stated that he arrested a lot of people. He put a lot of people in jail and because he believed that that's what the right thing was. That's what he believed. Do you feel that there is an imbalance right now in this lifetime of, of, of things he still needs to make right in his own heart with some of the people that he's put in jail? Do you think that um, in his mindset mentality, even though he believed he was doing the right thing at the time, that there are more lives that he can make peace with, more people that he can make peace with who he originally arrested for, for, for drug charges? Yeah, he does feel a lot of guilt with that. He does. Oh, yeah. Okay. For sure. Uh, but How can he do I mean, what, what are some of the things that he can actually do um, to send peace in the direction of these individuals, and how can he bring his soul greater comfort and greater healing? Well, one, continue what he's doing. Okay. What he's doing right now is number one. Number two is this is a technique that I've, I think I've actually taught this to you at one point. But this is a very, very powerful, it's a visualization technique, and it can work with anybody and in any situation you could think of. But send, you know, to send uh, any person, even your enemies, love and light, you envision that person or people in an energized bubble of pink and green light. And pink and green are the colors of divine love and healing. And I have done it myself. That's something that I learned about 15 years ago. And at first I didn't believe it, but then when I started doing it, and I noticed how magically, quote-unquote, magically things would change uh, in a more positive light. It was just simply, it was, it was, some of the things were miraculous. So, but that's, that's the number two thing is uh, he could do that. But just to send, just even just loving thoughts of peace and love. And um, another thing too is actually, he needs to come to a place of forgiveness within for himself. Do you think he's still having a lot of he doesn't forgive himself for some some things? Yeah, yeah. He holds he does carry a lot of guilt. He does, and the thing is, of course, he doesn't quite know how how to let go of it because you know, to him in his mind, while it's best to you know see someone face to face, get it out. He's he's a direct kind of person, you know. So um, it's rather difficult for him to try to let that that uh, that baggage go then well it is a bit difficult for him like how is he going to find all these people and go up to them and say hey I'm sorry you know <laughs> you know it's just it, it, next to impossible for him but doing those things that I outlined it should hopefully I'm hoping that he will take to heart and um, it, it, it that it will help him it's more so helping him than anything else because when it comes to divine, and you know, you speak of karmic debt and things of that nature, I, there's none of that. There is none of that. There's no karmic debt. There's there's no hellfire. <laughs> you know, there's there's no unforgiveness. Everything, all is forgiven the moment that it was done. You know, so it, it's all work that he needs to do within himself. But as far as divine goes. He's he's in the clear. Miss Lisa Casa, thank you for that very uplifting and uh, pretty pretty intriguing analysis of Mr. Barry Cooper. To learn more about Miss Casa and to get a reading with Miss Casa, please go to our website at lisacaza.com. Thank you so much, Miss Casa. Oh, thank you so much, Ryan. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our honorable guest, Mr. Barry Cooper, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Kaza, and Ms. Constance Tellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and fears. Take care, and thank you so much for listening.
Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com. Hello, this is Ryan, host and executive producer of the Out of Limits of the Truth radio show. We regularly feature the virtues, which are psychic medium, Miss Carrie O'Connor, psychic empath Lisa Kaza, and the astrophenom astrologer, Ms. Constance Sellis. They've been a huge part of the show since we started in 2014. And I'm here to tell you today that I highly recommend getting a reading with one or all of them. They are really incredible. First off, you have Miss Carrie O'Connor. We can, you can learn more about her by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Carrie is a psychic medium. She's been talking to trees and dead people since she was three. She has a really amazing ability to read into your soul, communicate with people who passed on and communicate and give you some beautiful heartwarming messages then you have miss lisa casa psychic empath who's absolutely incredible she's very blunt right to the point which i kind of love i actually love a lot she's an empath she can really look into your soul and tell you where you're going what is your current trajectory and she can also bring a lot of peace and harmony to your life then we have the astro phenom miss constant sellers you learn more about her by going to her website at ConstanceSellis.com. Ms. Sellis can do a chart reading on you and see where's your astrological trajectory going. She can answer questions about your life, career. Should you be going after that guy or girl? Should you get that? When are you going to get that promotion? She'll answer a lot of great questions. Again, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Kaza, and Ms. Constance Sellis, they are a fundamental core part of the Outer Limits of Truth Radio Show. Three of the best metaphysical teachers I've ever come across. I love them dearly, and I know if you get a reading with one or all of them, you will too. Thank you.